Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you during this season of Lent. Uh, we are in a sermon series looking at the last week of Jesus' life. And today we're going to read a story that gets to the very heart of how we're meant to live and flourish in the world that God has made. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, that there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is God's word given to us for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would give us ears to hear this very familiar story afresh this morning. That you would open our hearts to embrace our calling to love in this world. And that you empower us to love because of your great love for us. And teach us by your spirit to cling more tightly to your son Jesus. For in him we have life, wisdom, and the flourishing that we were made for. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think uh, many of us when we travel have a thing or two that we bring with us that are crucial to having a good trip. Maybe it's earplugs. Maybe it's a good book that you can't uh, live without. Or maybe you download music or podcasts ahead of time. Um, I will out myself. I always travel with a travel size fan. And the other pastors have uh, pretty consistently made fun of me for it. Yes, alternatives have been suggested. But no white noise app compares with the sound of an actual fan. Now, I've never done any research, but I'm sure there are articles about it somewhere on the uh, internet. Now, my son Nathaniel has a more normal thing that is important to him when he travels, his pillow. He likes to know that wherever he is, he is set with his really good pillow. So last month, we got to go on a family vacation to Florida. And when we arrived in Orlando International Airport, it was like a scene out of an apocalyptic movie. Both the terminals and the baggage claim were wall-to-wall people. Kids were screaming. Each baggage claim had like 10 flights coming into it. And there was a lady with a very strident uh, voice continuously, and I mean continuously, talking over the intercom, announcing baggage claim arrivals, and in between saying, people, listen to my voice. This is your best chance of finding your bag. So here we are, we're at baggage claim number five, waiting for our bags to arrive, and eventually mine and then Rachel and Nora's uh, arrive one after another. And we waited and waited 
but Nathanael's bag was nowhere to be seen. So at this point, Nathanael is understandably getting a, a little worried, and we're reassuring him that if we need to, we'll, we'll find a target that is open to get him a toothbrush and a swimsuit. And he looks at us, and he's like, yeah, but Target doesn't have my good pillow. Yep. So finally, there was one bag that we noticed that kept circling the baggage claim. It was the same size and brand as Nathaniel's, but a little darker blue. And it occurs to me that there's a good chance that the person who owns that bag took Nathaniel's bag by mistake. So I get the bag, I check the tag, and thankfully there is a phone number. So I called and left a very awkward voicemail. Hi, Julie. My name is David. I'm at baggage claim number five at the airport, and your bag is here, and I have it. And I'm wondering if you have a bag with the name Nathaniel on it. Please call me back. Well, lo and behold, a few seconds later, Julie calls me right back and says, yes, indeed, I have Nathaniel's bag. So she was getting ready to leave the airport, so we figured out a place to meet and to swap bags. Vacation saved. Now, if I can jump from the airport to our passage this morning, in Jesus' day, the religious elites were spiritually heavy packers. They had combed through the scriptures and found and categorized 613 distinct laws. And to be righteous, you had to keep every one of them. Now, in the stories preceding our passage in Mark 12, the experts of the law are trying to trip Jesus up with their questions. They ask about one part of the law, hoping that he will accidentally answer in a way that contradicts another part of the law. And they're not just trying to make him look foolish or to discredit him. They are trying to trap him into saying something wrong so that they can justify arresting and killing him. And of course, Jesus is super aware of what's going on. And his answers are so brilliant that at least one of the religious leaders, the scribe in our passage, is genuinely impressed. This scribe asked Jesus the first sincere question that Jesus has heard all day. The scribe asks, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, another way to ask this is, what does God care about the most? What way of living in this world pleases him? And true to form, instead of choosing one law, Jesus replies with two. And his answer is what we in the church call the great commandment. Now, for the most part, what he's about to say is so familiar to us who are in the church that it can easily go in one ear and out the other. Like, yeah, yeah, the great commandment, I got it, I know it. But the last line of our passage, Jesus says, uh, Jesus' answers, answer was so revolutionary that after hearing it, no one dared ask Jesus any more questions. And Jesus starts by quoting Deuteronomy 6, we heard in our Old Testament lesson. The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. And Jesus continues, the second one is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater 
than these. Now, Jesus' listeners were so shocked because no one before Jesus had ever connected these two commandments together as the supreme law. And church, what we see is that Jesus is upending their motivation for keeping the law and their understanding of the law. And so first, Jesus says, above all, love is to be the driving motivation and priority in our lives. And this is so central that that St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that we get no credit for the good that we do if love is not our motivation. Here's how Paul puts it. If I give away all of my possessions to the poor and even give my body to be burned as a martyr, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Secondly, the the way that Jesus frames these two commandments also calls for action. See, the love that, that Jesus is calling us to isn't just an affectionate, warm feeling inside. It's a strong, intentional commitment that acts for another's good. To love my neighbor as myself means not only not harming them, but actually looking out for them and working for their well-being as we do naturally for our own selves. And it means caring for those around us, our friends and our enemies alike, not because of an expectation of social reciprocity, but because they're made in his image and they have an inherent worth and dignity. And the more that I meditate on the great commandment, the more it makes sense to me that Jesus' listeners were intimidated by Jesus' answer. And the reason is because the great commandment encompasses everything about who we are and what we do. Everything. And Jesus is saying that we have not fulfilled the law simply by doing or not doing what the law states. Let me give you an example. In the seventh commandment, God says, thou shalt not commit adultery. But the great commandment requires not just that we wouldn't cheat on our spouse, but that we would wholeheartedly love, honor, and serve them. Or the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal, is not just to refrain from taking what belongs to our neighbor, but rather that we would actually grow hearts that are radically and gladly generous to them, even when our neighbor happens to be our enemy. Here's the crazy thing. Even though Jesus is elevating our vision of what it means to live a life that pleases God, he also makes it possible for us to do it. Now listen to how Jesus talks about the life that the religious elites were demanding that people live. Jesus said in Luke 11, Woe to you, you experts in the law, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Church, when the law is separated from love, it is soul-crushing. The burden of our expectation for one another, the burden of being a good person, 
will make us into self-righteous tyrants or it will make us despair. This kind of morality is a prison. Now in contrast, listen to what Jesus says about himself and the life that he invites us into. We've already heard it in our confession this morning. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How on earth is what Jesus asks of us lighter and easier than what the religious leaders laid on people? Well, the difference is that Jesus actually loves us. Being loved when we haven't done anything to earn it changes us. Being loved when we haven't done anything to earn it transforms us. I remember many, many years ago when I was getting ready to leave for college and my youth pastor takes me aside one Sunday and he told me, he told me that a congregant and his wife had decided that they wanted to pay half of my room and board every year at Moody. They never met me, they didn't know anything about me, except that I was going into ministry. And I was the first in my family to go to college. And my parents didn't have resources to help me. And so you can imagine, this was profoundly moving to me. The Chin family never wanted to talk about the gift that they had given me. But whenever I was home, they would invite me over for a meal. They would check in with me. They would find out how I'm doing. And I realized pretty quickly that despite Dr. Chin making a good living, they had, enormous, uh, they had a, a normal, modest home, and he drove a 20-year-old car to work. And I'll tell you, I would have loved to have given the chin something in return. But there wasn't anything that they needed or asked me of me. And church, if you, if you have any stories in your life where you have experienced or you were the recipient of surprising generosity and surprising love without any expectation that you would be able to reciprocate, you know that it changes you. Being the recipient of that kind of care certainly changed me. It warms up and it expands our hearts. And the result is that you want to care for someone else like that. Love happens as a result of being loved. Love happens as a result of experiencing love firsthand. This is what 1 John says, we love because he first loved us. And because he first loved us, the effect follows that we love. We love him with our whole selves. We love our neighbor as ourselves. We love our enemies. Love begets love. That's how it works. And when we experience the fierceness of Jesus on our behalf, 
and the tenderness of Jesus in our weakness, then we can't help but love him. And we will want to extend that fierceness and that tenderness on behalf of others. And as we come to understand more and more the extent to which we have been forgiven, the height, the depth, the width, we are able to actually forgive ourselves and extend that lavish forgiveness to others. As we begin to receive His kindness for the places that we need it most, we can begin to extend that same kindness to our neighbors. You see, we have to remember that when Jesus is having this conversation with the scribe and the teachers of the law, they are standing in the temple court during the Passover. And the smoke and the aroma of the burnt offerings were all around them. And if you're in Jerusalem and you're smelling this, it is a reminder that the world is not the way that it is supposed to be. That sin and evil have impaired our hearts and our lives. It's a reminder that Jesus is going to replace all of this, the temple and the whole sacrificial system, with his own body because he loves us. Jesus is going to take all of the evil upon himself as if he had committed it. And the Father will give us the credit for the perfect sacrificial love with which Jesus lived. And the end result is the utter transformation of our hearts, our city, and our world. See, the glorious thing about the great commandment is that it means that unlike the scribes and the Pharisees, that we can pack lightly. Jesus makes it simple for us. Because you are utterly loved... And he calls you beloved. Love God with everything in you and love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Amen and amen. May it be so. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this story. Thank you, Father, that you have loved us with an everlasting love. Yes, in the past, but also in the present and in the future. And Father, we pray that that love would wash over us, that it would change us, it would transform us, so that we become the people that you have made to be, people who love, even when others don't deserve it. We love even our enemies. That is how we know that we are your disciples, by our love for one another. And may that be a banner that not only waves high over covenant, but your people around the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.